Well, thank you for each of you that have been praying. I know the sickness is going around. Uh, last week we had close to 30 people out just from all the sickies and the, all that. So thank you for praying for one another. Thank you for praying for me. And, uh, you know, Pastor Mike has gone, man, there's a lot of people out today. And, uh, but, but you're here. Praise the Lord for that. We're glad that you're here. And uh, thankful that we can still come and worship and praise the Lord for all that He's done for us. If you would, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts. And uh, we're going to look at Stephen, a man to be like Stephen. Um, there's probably not too, men like, too many men like Stephen in the Bible who had the boldness that he had, yet with a gracious, gentle spirit that he had that uh, we can learn from and really... What, a, what an example to us, and an example that many of us need to follow. And so I'll give you just a second to get to Acts chapter 6. And uh, we're going to look at the next several verses that after what we looked at two weeks ago. And then next week we'll get into chapter 7, where Stephen gives his defense of what he believes and why he has the boldness that he has. And uh, he does it with such grace, and yet he does it to the, in, in, in the presence of those who would persecute him. It's amazing, and uh, I I don't know about you, but I just feel like these are days that we need to stand up for what we believe in. These are days that we need to, I'm not saying go around and argue with anybody that disagrees with us. I I don't think Stephen did that, but Stephen stood with boldness and confidence because he knew who his God was, and he had the Holy Spirit working in and through him, and so there's so much that we can learn from from him. But uh, in Acts chapter 6, I want to go ahead and read verses 8 through 15. And then when I'm done, we'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll start looking at it line by line here. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and were arguing with Stephen. But they were unable to oppose the wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came up to him, dragged him away, and brought him to the Sanhedrin. And they put forward false witnesses who said, This man never ceases speaking words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus, the Nazarene, will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin saw his face like the face of an angel. Lord Jesus, as we come before you once again this morning, we ask God that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, I know there's so many things about this text, Lord, that we can learn from. And I pray, God, that we might not only be willing to learn them, but to apply them to our hearts and our lives, Lord. I pray, God, that you'd help us to Lord, really, be challenged by it, Lord, and ask ourselves what we need to do to become more like Stephen. And Lord, I pray you speak to our hearts this morning, pray in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, but if there was ever a man to be like, it would have been Stephen. Despite his opposition, Stephen stayed the course and followed God. And it's amazing that when we live in a world that it seems like everyone, it's easy to go the direction that everyone else is going, right? You know, when everyone's going the same direction, it's easy just to fall in line. 
but man, as soon as you take a direction into a different belief system, a different ideology, a different thought process, man, all of a sudden there's opposition. You know, for several years I've been saying this phrase because we all, we live in a world where everyone likes to accept our differences. You know, we should be, have that freedom to be different, a freedom to express our differences. And the whole world loves that whole idea until you disagree with them. And as soon as you disagree with them, then all of a sudden they're, you know, they're angry at you because you disagree with them. Although we're supposed to love diversity. We're supposed to love the differences, embrace the differences, until you actually have differences. You know, until then, and all of a sudden, man, you're, they're upset, they're angry, they're frustrated. But here's a man who went against the crowd, who went against the leadership, who went against the powers that be, and stood firm, stayed the course. So what made Stephen a man to be like? Well, we see that right away in verse 8. He says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Well, the first thing you see about him is that he is full of grace and power. You say, well, that sounds really nice. Isn't that cute? I mean, pretty. He is full of grace, full of power. But what does it really mean? What does it mean that Stephen was full of grace? I don't know about you, but when someone, you know, many people, and maybe even you yourself, when you're angry, everybody knows it, right? Everybody better watch out because I'm on a warpath. Just get out of my way. You done tick me off, and everyone's going to know it, right? Here's Stephen in the opposition, in the presence of opposition, and in God's Word says he was still full of grace. You mean that you can disagree with someone and still have grace? You mean I don't have to agree with you and still have grace? Well, that was the example that Paul gave us. Uh, and full of power. It literally means to be filled up. Filled up with what? The Holy Spirit. In fact, in Romans, it's literally the same idea that the Apostle Paul demonstrated in Romans uh, chapter 14 and verse 8, I believe it was. He says, For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. That's not the right verse. That's not the one I was looking for. Let me see, 14. Uh, man, I, that is a... What's that? Oh. Yeah, that's not the verse I was looking for, though. Yeah, well, maybe it is. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, that's the verse. We're, we are the Lord's. I don't know, I have a mental break here. So the idea is that we belong to Him, right? We, we're His. And the, and the reality is, it literally means to be filled up with the Holy Spirit. We belong to Him. We're filled with Him. And so Paul was, I mean, uh, Stephen was full of power. But he had the, dis, the disposition of grace. He was gracious, even when facing those who would eventually take his life. I don't know about you, but when someone tends to say something wrong or deceitful about me, what's What's my, I guess, mode of operandi is that I want to get even. I want to take matters in my own hands. I want to set the record straight. I want to make sure they understand the truth. And if they don't understand the truth, I'm going to help them understand the truth, right? Isn't that our nature? Someone says something that's wrong, I'm going to let them know that they're wrong. I'm going to let them know it. Rather than just saying, you know what, God knows. God will take care of it. God can do a better job. We're His. He's going to take care of us. Greater is he that is innocent than he that is in the world. He's going to work in and through, right? But the bottom line is when someone says something different or wrong or misinforming, we want to set the record straight. 
And what we see of Stephen is that he was full of grace. Even in the presence of those who would take his life. He was filled with power because he had the Holy Spirit working within him. And let me just say this. You can't have a disposition of grace if you don't have the Holy Spirit working in and through you. You see, you can't be responding in the flesh and living in the Spirit at the same time. Those two are, are contradictory one to the other. So you're going to respond one way or the other, either in the flesh or in the Spirit. And the only way to have the grace is to be walking in the Spirit. Not only that, God's Word was very clear here in, in the same verse. He was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Wonders and signs really point to the God who enabled him. It was it that Paul was, I mean that, that Stephen was just so phenomenally great? Was it that he was just so gifted that he could do these signs and wonders? Was it that God just gave him supernatural abilities that no one else had? It really wasn't the case. It really was a circumstance where God worked in and through him, and God got the credit for what he did. It wasn't Stephen. It wasn't any of us that God can sometimes use. It's God working in and through us. Remember, that's what he said in the Old Testament in Second Chronicles 14. I'm sorry, 16. The eyes of God, eyes of God run to and fro throughout the whole earth to do one thing, to show himself strong in him whose heart is perfect towards him. It's not about your abilities or the lack thereof. We've been saying that for years. It's not about whether you're talented or skilled or have special ability. It's all irrelevant. God says, I'm looking for people that I can show myself strong through. It's not literally about you at all. It's not about you at all. And so Stephen was one of these men that God could work through because Stephen's heart was right towards him. He was walking in the Spirit. And literally, these signs and wonders that he did authenticated him in his ministry. That it was all from God. So Stephen, full of grace and power, doing great wonders and signs among the people. Now, here's been a phrase over the last couple of years. Anytime God is doing something great, anytime that God is at work, Satan does not want to let it go, what? Unchallenged. So remember, we've been seeing this all the way through the last three chapters of the book of Acts. God is at work. God is doing great things. Signs and wonders are being done. Healing's taking place. People are growing. People are getting saved. People are getting baptized. And Satan doesn't like it. Anytime that God is at work, Satan does not want to let it go unchallenged. I don't care whether it's publicly in a church setting or whether it's privately in your life. When God is at work, Satan does not want to let it go unchallenged. And we've been saying that. We've been seeing it. Let me, let me just tell you something about the directory. I, thought, I found this was a little bit humorous. Paul got the entire directory done, and he starts to print it. And you know where it stopped printing? In the center at the prayer journal. It just stopped. And he's like, what? This makes no sense. So he goes back through. He's playing with it. He's looking at it. He gets up the code on it. Starts finding out what's going on. He says, Pastor, I'm baffled because I don't know what's going on. So he tries to print it again. Goes all the way through until it hits the first page of the prayer journal. Stops again. We call it Toshiba, and they send over two guys. One's a document expert. The other one's a copy machine expert. And they're looking at it. They were there for two hours. They said, we have no idea why this section won't print. have no idea. So the next day, we called Toshiba again and said, have you talked to anybody that might have the answer? And a guy calls in and remotes in, takes control of the computer, messes it for another two hours, tries to print it, and it stops at the prayer journal again. Why? Why that section? 
because we're going to use it for something more than just phone numbers. That's just my opinion. I could be wrong. I don't want to read into it more than what's there. But I find it just a little bit more than skeptical that the entire thing prints except for the prayer journal part of it. Eventually, we tried some new things and we were able to get it to print. But the reality is, anytime God is at work and doing something, Satan does not want to let it go unchallenged. So we see through the last three chapters how God is at work. Things are happening. The church is growing. People are being added. And Satan does not want to let it go unchallenged. So what was happening? What we see in verse 9. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up more arguing with Stephen. So all of a sudden you've got this group of people from the synagogue who are beginning to argue with Stephen. Cyrenians, Alexandrians, you've got men from Cilicia and Asia. They all rose up and argued with him. Why? They hated him. They were angry because God was using him to do what God was not doing in their lives. They were religious, but they were not probably saved. They were religious in the sense that they knew the law. They were scribes. They were Pharisees. They were people who were part of the Sanhedrin. They were people who were religious, but probably lost. Here's the difference. You know that you can be religious and not spend eternity in heaven? Did you know that? Did you know that you can go to church every Sunday your entire life and still spend eternity in hell? Did you know that you could give your every penny that you've ever earned in your life to God's work and still spend eternity in hell? Did you know that? Did you know that you could be the nicest person on the face of God's earth and still spend eternity in hell? Did you know that? That's what God's Word says. That's not Ken's idea. I wish that were not the case. Because I know a lot of nice people who are really wonderful to be around, but they're lost. You see, I think a lot of these people, they were jealous because here's Stephen. God's using him. God's working through him. I mean, here he is standing in, in front of the, the presence of those who would take his life. And he's responding in grace. And yet with confidence and power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm afraid there are a lot of people in a lot of churches who are faithful every week, who give to God's work, who are wonderfully kind people, but they don't know Jesus. They know a lot about Jesus. They have religion, but they don't have a relationship. And there's a huge, huge difference. It's not enough to know about Jesus. You must have a relationship with Jesus. So these men were angry. They were upset with Stephen because God was doing something in and through them. But here's the problem. As angry as they were, as upset as they were with Stephen, look at verse 10. It says, but they were unable to oppose the wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. I mean, everything that Stephen was saying, they didn't like it, but they had nothing to say in response to it. It's like, it's like the, he was spewing the truth, and yet they had no way to refute it. Uh, several years ago, I, I watched a documentary with uh, Dr. Uh, Walter Kaiser, I believe, who wrote Kingdom of the Cults. And he was uh, taking on, in kind of an informal debate, uh, a group of men from another denomination. And uh, the, the guy who was kind of moderating the conversation says, well, uh, Dr. Kaiser, what do, you, what, do you, what do you feel about this topic? And it was like machine gun went off. And he quoted like 30 verses. From memory, just like, boom, I mean, as fast as, I mean, I was just like, whoa! This guy just machine gunned 30 verses in response. 
And then they looked at the other two who were the denominational leaders, and they, they were kind of whispering in each other's ear, and they, they said, we, we don't really know. And it was just like, wow. It's like they didn't like what, Col- what Alter Kaiser said, but they had no response to it. Because he was using the Bible to answer the question. It wasn't opinion. It wasn't experience. It wasn't feelings. It was truth versus feeling. Right here, Stephen was a perfect example. They didn't like what he was saying, but they had no way to refute it. And what happens when somebody's right and you want to be right, but you're not? What happens? You just get more angry and more angry because you have no response to what's being said. I don't know about you, but I don't like losing an argument. Anybody like me? I hate losing an argument. But you know when I get most angry? When I can't refute it. I hate that. It's like when you know your wife is right. Guys, come on, we know it's the truth. I told you it was this way. No, you didn't. Yes, you did. Okay, you did. I don't like those moments because I have no answer. I have no refute, but they're right. They couldn't respond. Why? Was it that he was just so brilliantly wise? No. Once again, it was the Holy Spirit working in and through him. You see, none of these men in the Bible were perfect. Did you know that? All these men that God used, they weren't perfect. I mean, look at David. Fornicator. Killer. I mean, look at these guys. No, drunk. I mean, all these people that were wicked and sinful, and yet God used them. They weren't perfect people. And why was God able to use them? It wasn't because they were skilled or had ability or had special wisdom. It's because they allowed the Holy Spirit to work through them. Right? Here's another example of that. It wasn't that st- I don't believe for a minute I don't believe for a minute that David was just so phenomenally gifted with a slingshot. I mean, come on. Do you really think a stone this big from a guy throwing it fifty yards away whipping it is gonna Oh No, I don't think that. I think God guides stones. I think God has the ability to work in and in and around your skills and abilities because that's what he says he does. No, he may have been really good, I don't know. But he definitely had confidence in his God. I, I didn't see him down by the river gra- gathering a whole bag full of stones. He grabbed five. One for his for Goliath and his four brothers, right? Bottom line is he had confidence in a God that was going to take care of it. Where is our confidence? Is it in your skills or is it in God working through you? That's where Stephen's ability was. Not in his own flesh, but in God working through him through the Holy Spirit. They were not able to oppose him. He spoke with wisdom and he spoke with the Spirit. And their human reasoning was no match for the wisdom that God gave him through the Holy Spirit. No amount of human reasoning could be a match for the wisdom that God was giving him. So what happens? They can't oppose him. They don't know what to do with him. Because God is obviously using him. Look at verse 11. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. So, I mean, when they couldn't refute him, they had no wisdom to go against him. So they said, I got the idea. We got the perfect plan. We're going to find guys who are willing to stand up and lie about Stephen. So that's exactly what they did. They found men who are willing to stand up and lie. So they devised this plan 
to destroy Stephen by getting people to lie about him. So they stirred up the people. Look at, look at this in verse 11 and 12. So, and they stirred up the people, the elders, the scribes, and they came to him. So when they couldn't beat him with, his, with their words, they found people to lie against him, and they went around telling everybody in the village, this is the story, and they, they caused people to, to stand up, and they stir the crowds and get everybody going. I mean, what's more sacred in their day and age than the law? What's more sacred than the law? I mean, Moses said, Moses gave us these words, and, and, and they're saying something against Moses. I mean, they're using the very thing that everyone loves and what they're adoring and, and what, they, what, they, you know, what, they, what they believe in, and they're using it against Stephen. And they stir the people, the elders, the ones who are the elder statesmen, so to speak, the ones who should know better, the ones that have wisdom, right? And they're buffooning them. And the scribes? Well, who are the scribes? The, the legal entities, the, you know, the ones who would you know, write down the Scripture and, and translate. Those who are considered the, the, the knowledgeable ones. And they are buffooning them. And they're stirring up the crowds. So much so that they dragged him away and brought him to the Sanhedrin. So now they're before the holy police again. The temple guards, so to speak. And they're trying to destroy him. But you know, here's what we find out. In Matthew chapter 26, this is the same tactics that they used against Jesus himself. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 59, it says this. Now the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus so that they might put him to death. I mean, here they are. They're going against Jesus himself using the same tactic that they're now using against Stephen. And they did not find any. Oh, they didn't find any against Stephen either, but didn't stop him. Even though many false witnesses came forward, but later on, two came forward and said, this man stated, I am able to destroy the sanctuary of God and to rebuild it in three days. I mean, they're trying to find anything. They're grasping at straws to find something whereby that they can destroy him. And in Mark chapter 14 and verse 55, a little bit of difference here. It says, Now the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were seeking to obtain testimony against Jesus to put him to death, and they were not able to find, not finding any, for many were grieving false testimony against him, but their testimony was not consistent. So even the ones that they found to lie couldn't lie in sync. I mean, they're all, he says this one, and he says this, and he says, they couldn't even lie, come up with the same plausible story. And some standing up, were giving false testimony against him, saying, We ourselves heard him say, I will destroy the sanctuary made with hands, and in three days I will build another way without hands. And not even in this way was their testimony consistent. I mean, they were doing everything they can, grasping at straws to find the same thing they are doing with Stephen. And so they put forward Stephen. They're trying to find people who will lie against him. Guess what, though? Anytime someone doesn't agree with you, you're going to find someone to lie. There's always going to be a willing party. And so they, came, they stirred the people, the elders, the scribes. They came to him. They dragged him away, brought him to the Sanhedrin, put forth false witnesses who said, this man never ceases speaking words against this holy place and the law. I mean, they're just lying, lying, lying. 
So now Stephen is standing before the Sanhedrin. They put before these false witnesses. Look at verse 14. For we have heard him say that Jesus the Nazarene will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. So let me ask you a question. Was he about to change everything? Was this Jesus going to change everything? Absolutely it was. Was Stephen lying? No. But they wanted to use his words against him. But here's the thing. In the midst of all the opposition that Stephen was facing, in the midst of the accusations and the false lies, Stephen stood there with confidence, speaking wisdom with the help of the Holy Spirit. And look at verse 15. And fixing their gaze on him. And can you, now just, just stop right there just for a minute. Just, just kind of in your mind's eye, picture this. Here's Stephen, quasi-trial, standing before, or sitting before the tribunal of the temple police, Sanhedrin. They're all accusing him. They're trying to find anything they can against him to falsely accuse him. And every eye is glued on Stephen. Every eye is glued on him. And Stephen's not sitting there going, just wait till I get out. Just wait till I get out of here. I'm going to take care of this. Was that what he was doing? No. What would you be doing? Okay, what, do I, what can I use as a weapon around here? I don't see no jawbones of a, of a donkey like, like, like you know, Samson used. I don't see no whips like, uh, you know, they scourge you. I'd be looking for something. I wonder how many people I can get to with that stone before they get me. No, he's not looking around to see how he can defend himself. He's not looking around to see how he might retaliate to everything that has taken place. But every eye is glued on him. What would you be doing at this moment? Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, because I'm about to die. Right? But what does he do? He sits there in confidence. And what's it say in verse 8? Full of grace. And look at this. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin saw his face like the face of an angel. How does that happen? That's not what I would be doing. I'm just saying. I'm figuring out a way to get get an Uzi out or something, you know? I mean, I want, I'm about... Yeah, calling the F-14s right now. Let's bomb the temple. You know what I mean? I, I want to figure out how I can destroy these people. But he didn't do that. How? Why? Because the Spirit was working through him. I don't know about you, but I don't have time to get into all of chapter 7. That's next week because that's too long to break up. But when you start looking at the whys and what God was doing, it's amazing. It's amazing that he could even sit there with poise and confidence and have the look of an angel on his face. You can only do that if the Holy Spirit's working in and through you. And apart from that, you will not, you cannot have that grace. I don't know about you, but I just know that too often my flesh will want to take over in these circumstances. And my flesh wants retaliation. My flesh wants to get even. My flesh wants to declare my own righteousness and my own um, ability to say, you guys are wrong and I'm right. But he didn't do any of that. 
He just stood there with confidence and boldness and told the truth. I don't want you, but that's an example for every one of us to learn from. I don't know about you, but I know that almost regularly things are happening around us in our sphere of influence that we don't like. Anybody agree? And do you want to just like take your gun and just shoot the TV sometimes? And just like, right? You just want to deal with it because it's just so sinfully wrong and hateful and wicked. And yet, when he was in those same situations, full of grace and power, the look of an angel on his face. An example. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm going to stop here because next week's another whole host of really cool things that he uses to remind them of what they already knew concerning Moses, the law, and how God had worked to get them to this point. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't just spew off a bunch of facts. He gives them a history lesson. And in that history lesson, he reminds them of what they already know concerning who God was, is, and how he had worked at this point. So what is it that we walk away from this story with? What is it that God wants us to learn? I think if we put ourselves in this environment, is it really that much different than what we face, honestly? Are we living in a world who is, in their own minds, religious? might be the religion of academia. might be the religion of politics. might be the religion of cultural impact. I don't know. But we live in a world who is religious, yet without a relationship with Jesus. We live in a world that wants to condemn those who know the truth, even though they think they have it. And we're living in a world where we would want to, and maybe even justly, defend ourselves and yet the example is that we just stand for truth. We don't have to scream it. We don't have to chew people out because we have the confidence of the Holy Spirit living within us as His children. How does God want us to respond? I think if we're honest with ourselves, He'd have us to respond like Stephen. In the midst of opposition, stand and stay the course like Stephen. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to read about Stephen this morning. To learn what you have for us. Lord, to contemplate what our actions and reactions ought to be in a world of opposition that we live in. And Lord, I know so often we want to respond in the flesh. Lord, we can even justify it, rationalize it, excuse it. And yet, Lord, we know it's not right. So, Lord, I ask that you would help us to do what's right. Help us to stand for truth. Help us to have the confidence that only comes from the Holy Spirit living within us. And I pray, Lord, that you help us to learn from Stephen. Lord, help us to be full of grace in the midst of opposition. But, Lord, also help us to be full of power, confidence from the Holy Spirit living within us. So, Lord, work in our hearts this day, Lord. We... We've been able to take a few minutes and sing and to worship you, Lord, and to, Lord, really, Lord, as the first song we sang, you are the light of the world. And, Lord, I pray that we might reflect that light. Even as Stephen stood before the Sanhedrin, they said he had the face of an angel. Lord, I pray that we might reflect the light of Jesus 
in the dark world that we live in. Because you are the light of the world. And in order to reflect you, Father. So Lord, work in our hearts this day. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just ask for a moment of uh, where we just kind of think to ourselves and pray for just a moment. Maybe you're here this morning and say, well, man, I had no idea there was a man like Stephen in the Bible. I had no idea that you know, there's a certain way to respond to my critics and those who don't agree with me and don't want to, don't understand where I come from. Maybe you're here this morning and say, man, I need to respond like Stephen. Maybe this morning you say, I need to re- have the Holy Spirit living within me. Don't have that relationship. i got religion, but I don't have that relationship. Maybe this morning God speak to your heart and say, Pastor, just pray for me. I, I, I'm that person. I need to be more like Stephen. I need the Holy Spirit to to empower me, to work through me. I need to be more like Stephen. Would you pray for me this morning? Anyone like that this morning? Yes. Yes, in the front. You have the sides. Anyone else say, Pastor, pray for me. I, I need to have that confidence and the power and the grace of Stephen in my life. Yes. Can I just challenge those of you who lifted your hands, your heart towards heaven just for a moment? Just right there where you're sitting. Right there where you're at. You don't need to come forward. You don't need to stand up, but just right there where you're at, just take a moment and pray. Right there where you're at, just pray. Say, Lord, forgive me. I've responded in the flesh. People have sensed my anger and my frustration rather than your grace and your humility and your spirit. God, forgive me. Help me to be like Stephen. Help me to be full of grace and power. Help me be directed by the Spirit living within me. That I may reflect well, Jesus, in all my conversations, in all my dealings with people. I don't know about you, but the flesh is strong. The flesh wants to defend itself. The flesh wants to be right. But maybe this morning God is just challenging you to to show grace. To stand confident in His power, not your own. Anyone else say, Pastor, pray for me before we close. Can I invite you to stand to your feet as we close in prayer? Lord Jesus, Lord, You know our hearts. You know the very things that distract us, the very things that, Lord, get us and cause us to respond in the flesh. And Lord, I, I pray that you forgive us. Might we reflect well Jesus. Might we be willing to show His love, His grace, and have the confidence to do so because of the Holy Spirit working within us. Lord, I pray you be with each one who raised their hand, their heart towards you this morning. I ask your Father that you give confidence. May we sense your presence at work in our lives this week as we reflect well Jesus in our lives. So Lord, I I'd also pray that if there be one here today, Lord, that does not know you as their Savior, Lord, I pray, God, that today might be a day of salvation for them. Might today be a day, Lord, that they would put their faith and their trust in you and no one else. One more question as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Maybe you're here this morning and say, I don't know if I know Jesus. I don't know that if I were to die today, if I were to ask you, are you certain that you're going to heaven? Can you say with confidence, yes, Jesus is my Savior? 
or maybe you're sitting here and say, I don't know, Pastor Ken. I don't know if I have that confidence. If I were to die today, I don't know that I would spend eternity in heaven, but I'm concerned about it. Would you with uplifted hand or just look up at me and say, I'm not sure, so I can pray for you? Anyone like that this morning? Yes, thank you for your honesty. I appreciate that. For those of you that did raise your hand, a couple of you, can I just simply encourage you to pray this simple prayer? My prayer will not save you. My prayer cannot save you. But if you're concerned and want to trust Jesus this morning, it's a simple prayer. It goes like this, and you can repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. But I believe that you died on the cross and you shed your blood that I might have forgiveness of my sin. I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of my sin. And I put my faith and my trust in you to save me and I ask you to help me to live for you. Maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor Ken, I prayed that prayer. Would you acknowledge that, anyone? Did you pray that prayer? Thank you. appreciate your honesty. If you believed what you said, God's word says you're a child of God. It's a simple prayer of faith. It's just a relationship. It's not joining a church. It's not a commitment to give. It's not a, a commitment to go. It's a simple prayer of faith saying, Lord, I put my faith and trust in you and what you did for me on the cross. That's it. It's a simple relationship. Lord Jesus, thank you for those who've acknowledged that they prayed that prayer this morning. I ask God that you give them confidence and help them to grow in their faith. And Lord God, that you'd work in their hearts to draw them close to you and may they sense your presence. Lord, for all of us, Lord, may we respond every day, Lord, as you would have us to respond, Lord, using Stephen as a good example, but even you yourself, Father, in the face of opposition, may we stand for what's right. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.